who no longer cherish Christ. We move from the introduction of this book now into the first section and we move uh, to this uh, block of seven letters written to seven churches. And just before we go into start this first one looking at this letters to the church at Ephesus I just want to make what are probably a couple of very obvious points but nevertheless I think uh, right points to make. The first is simply this. These were written to real churches. Um, they're identifiable places we, we know from the state of the church there now if any and when the church died out there how they responded to these letters uh, and how it panned out for them down through history um, the, God is concerned with real churches we've already seen in chapter 1 that he's walking amongst the lampstands he reminds us of it or he reminds the church at Ephesus here in the opening verse of chapter 2 he says the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand who walks among the seven golden lampstands he said I'm the one who's, who's walking in, among, in your church um, and God has a, has a great love for an interest in local churches I think it's important we understand that before we go into these letters. Uh, when Christ saved us, he, he has a concern for us as an individual. We are his child. He loves us as, as individual children. He has a concern for us as part of the church universal, the, uh, the glorious church made up of all men and women out of nations, out of all times who have faith in Christ. And he loves us as part of a local church. And he has an interest and concern for us in the context of... PLFC the second thing I want us to see is this that we can't escape the challenge of these letters it's no good us saying well we go to Pound Lane Free Church we don't go to Ephesus Free Church or Pergamon Free Church therefore this doesn't apply to us um, we need to go back to what it said in chapter 1 uh, where it said that we're to read these, this book uh, we're to listen to it we're to heed what it says and the fact that we don't belong to the particular church to which it's addressed doesn't in any way negate that need for us to take it to heart. Um, we can't, we're again back in one of these special numbers in Revelation 7. We've already seen chapter 1, the sevenfold spirit, the seven angels of the churches, the seven um, stars, the seven lampstands. And now we've got seven letters to seven churches. And as we said last time, seven stands for completion. It's, it's, it's divine completion. And what it's saying here is this letter is for all the churches. And, and our task is to look at each one of these churches and say, well, what if that applies to us? And, and where it applies to us, if the cap fits, wear it. As my old pastor used to say. Uh, we're to take it to heart, we're to apply it to ourselves. And where it doesn't apply, we're to be careful, lest next year it does apply. Um, you know, there's, these, there's lots to be heeded here in these letters. And I've just put up a couple of... Uh, Images uh, to help us just get our mindset around Ephesus. Here's the first one. The map shows where it is. It's, it's in what is modern-day Turkey. Uh, it's a seaport. It was uh, one of the principal cities uh, in Asia at the time that he's writing. There's uh, a library uh, built there. A few years after this letter is written, uh, it's a great commercial centre near the port where Paul may well have worked while he was there in Ephesus and uh, it's, a, it's a great cultural city it had numerous religions 
Um, and not least among them of course is his temple of Artemis or Diana which is one of the seven wonders of the ancient world there's nothing left of that now apart from some uh, sort of replica bits and uh, there's uh, also the theatre where very probably uh, where the mob gathered to attack Paul so it's the most prosperous city it's uh, a, a city right at the forefront of all that's happening there in that part of the world and it's a very black city it's a place where evil flourishes where false religions have their home and yet it's right there in that place that Christ plants one of these local churches verse 1 the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand who walks among the seven golden lampstands and Christ immediately wants to remind them of who he is who is speaking you've got to take me seriously Christ is saying I am the Lord of your local church I, I am the one who this is all about when you come to meet together I am the one who is there in your midst my friends who are aware of that tonight that Christ is walking in this place even as we meet together to worship him he is here in the midst of us and it's supposed to be all about him it's not about him making much of us it's supposed to be about us making much of him now let's see what they've got right because without question they've got a lot right this church and it's typical of Christ and it's typical in all these letters that where he can find something good to say for them he says that, he puts it first he says I can say this in your favour and look at all the things he says in their favour first of all verse 2 they're a hard working church now how many churches can you say that of today that they're actually hard working for the Lord I, I, I mean most western Christians today are hard working in their secular work uh, they're hard working in their home they're hard working at their hobbies but how many are truly hard working for the Lord but the Lord looks at this church and he says but you are you're a gathering of Christians who are very hard working in the cause of Christianity verse 2 I know your works your toil and not only are they hard working but they persevere at it for he says and your patient endurance and even today when you find churches where people are hard working very often there isn't much patient endurance with it they're like a racing car you know that the, the, the flag goes or the lights change and they're off and yet before they reach the first bend there's a block in the fuel pipe they're hiccuping and stalling you know they, they set off with a burst of enthusiasm on some project and then just a little way down the line it's all forgotten and gone this church are not like that they've looked at the needs they've set up their youth programs they've got their teaching program they've got all their uh, community things to try and reach out into the community round about them they're an active church they're a hard working church and they persevere at it and there's more verse 2 they're a discerning church look what he says they've tested those who call themselves apostles and are not and found them to be false what a need today for spiritual discernment in the church and yet they had it there in that church they're in the midst of a city that's full of satanic worship and practice all these false religions they're seeing people saved out of these false religions coming into the church and bringing with them all sorts of wrong ideas and they show discernment they recognise which ones are genuine who are being saved and welcome them in 
and they recognise those that want to come in and, and claiming to be saved and wanting to speak with authority but are false and they're banning them and they will not tolerate them coming in and speaking and God commends them for it particularly verse 6 he, de- he singles out one particular area and it's in regard to the teaching of the Nicolaitans now the Nicolaitans taught that uh, we should just sort of in- satisfy our sexual appetite uh, uh, it's perfectly okay to do that and right to do that it doesn't matter whether or not you're married you just do what you want to do and this church says no that is wrong that is not in the line with the teaching of God's word and, and they stand against it my friend here's a second challenge to us God wants us to be hard working and endure in his work he wants us to, to test to show discernment in what is being taught and what people bring into the church and, and what's being said on behalf of the church nationally and internationally and, and where it is wrong stand against it and in verse 2 they stand against evil and how you cannot bear with those who are evil so well it's going to be true of every Christian isn't it what Christian bears with those who are evil well the reality is many many Christians in our day and age and our culture don't they I mean it says bear with them in other words they 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 will not separate themselves they will not break the link with those who are evil well we have to work with those who are evil we, we have no choice in who we work alongside but my friends it's supposed to stop there how many Christians today not only do not speak against those who are evil but will quite happily watch them on TV watch everything they do they will turn for entertainment to those who are evil they will follow in the news avidly their life stories and all the relationships that they're getting involved in that are totally evil you get someone like Stephen Fry who, it, it, whose mouth against God is vile and yet how many Christians Yo, oh he's wonderful you've got to listen to that. he's on this and he's really good I mean he's not he is an absolute anti-God person of the most strong he can be and, and this church bless them would not bear with those who were evil they said no you're, you're not of us and then fourthly they've been tested under persecution because of their clear statement that they're Christians because of the work they're engaged in the community because they're pushing the doors and trying to communicate with those out there about Christ they're being persecuted for it and Christ says I've seen it I know what you're going through I know what you've been through and and I have this in your favour verse 3 you're enduring patiently and bearing up for my namesake you're not ashamed to identify with me when the persecution comes against you you don't turn round and renounce your faith in me you say no I'm a Christian this is where I stand and the Lord says I have that in your favour as well my friends what a challenge to us today you put all of those things together they're a hard working church they're a discerning church they stand against evil and they've been tested under persecution and not renounced their faith in Christ you say what a church well in that regard they are so before we go any further let's just ask the obvious question how is your commitment and stickability 
in the practical things of our Lord uh, you know you, you, you're involved in a youth group or whatever and you've been doing it maybe for a few years and it's getting to that point it's like well oh, you know <sighs> it means I've got to turn up at this time it means I've got to go down for prayer it means we've got to have leaders meeting it means this church weren't like that they were saying that's our work that's what we do for the Lord how's your discernment don't we live in days when we need discernment as Christians with all the false teaching that's going around uh, and all the compromises being made in the church how's your rejection of all that is wicked so hard isn't it to live out there in the world to be in the world but not of the world to not let it start to shape us to not let it start to be acceptable to us to keep our minds sharp that that is wrong I have to listen to it and I hate it every time I hear it and how is your persecution or are you just keeping so quiet that you're not persecuted well that's what they get right but see what they've got wrong verse 4 and this is absolutely frightening isn't it but I have this against you that you have abandoned the love you had at first it's as though the Lord has almost built them up in this amazing list of all they've got right and you can just imagine them I mean this is sent to the angel and if we understand angel to mean the, the minister which I think is, uh, the word should be uh, understood to mean uh, so this is the letter that Jesus gives to John to be sent to the minister of the church he stands up to read it out to the church this is the letter that the Lord has sent and he starts going through all these things and you can just imagine them sitting there saying that's right, we, we do do that yeah we've got a good program running of all the events we, we do, we, we, we test people and we, and we prove the false apostles false we stand against evil uh, we, we have been testing under persecution and our Lord's seen it, our Lord knows it praise the Lord and then the Lord says but I've got one, one thing against you and you can sort of almost imagine them thinking well that's not too bad is it he said four good things in our favour and he's only got one thing against us come on Lord what is it and the Lord says you don't love me at least not like you did at first you have abandoned the love you had at first nine words and what devastating words they are can you imagine how this must have hurt Christ to dictate this letter he can look at this church and he can see so much in its favour so much that he can put down and say you know I commend you for this I commend you for that and all the time knowing that he's got to come to the one that really counts they don't love him like they used to it's all become a matter of works it's all become a matter of duty it's all become a matter of tradition it's all become a matter of this is what we do as Christians you don't love me anymore and I can sort of imagine how the church might have reacted to that when that was first read out Lord what do you mean how can you say that we've been persecuted for you we're going out there into the world we're standing up and saying we're Christians we're getting beaten up for it we're losing our jobs over it some of them might even be martyred because of it how can you turn around and say we don't love you and the Lord would say because I see your hearts I'm not talking about what you're doing I'm talking about what's happening in here you don't love me as you once did 
doesn't that make it such a great tragedy if the letter right from the start started off you know you're not bothering to evangelize you're not bothering to um, teach you're taking in all sorts of false teaching you've compromised the gospel um, you're listening to wicked people if he could say all those things against it we wouldn't be surprised to hear that they don't love Christ anymore the tragedy is that they've got all those things right you would go into that church and look at what's happening there and say this is a brilliant church the only thing that's wrong is something that's under the surface that you can't see it's in their hearts they don't love Christ like they did anymore Now how does that happen to a church? How is it that a church can end up still doing everything right practically and yet not have the love for Christ that they started out with? Well, just to answer that we've got to look at Christ's answer and try and work backwards from it. Look at verse 5. This is what he says they need to do to correct it. Do the things you did at first. He says, you don't love me like you did at first, and the solution to that is go back and start doing again the things you did at first. So clearly there were things they were doing at first that they're not doing now. It's the trouble, isn't it? When the source goes wrong, all that that follows it goes wrong. How many charities do you know of in the UK that were started by Christians for the love of Christ? and are now nothing more than humanitarian charities that Christ is not involved in it at all they've tried to carry on the work but Christ has been cut out of it there's no heart for Christ anymore and they're just doing the work how many churches in our land are like that? they're still doing a great work in quotes they've got all their programs they've got all their services they've got all their liturgy they've got all their discernment but there's no love of Christ here and how easy it can happen to us as individuals in a church so what was it they were doing at the start that they're not doing now can I suggest you it's as simple as this it's making time to enjoy Christ every day that, that, that's what feeds the love isn't it that's what keeps the love alive that's what keeps the love growing and the love flowing is when every day I'm in this delightful relationship with Christ when when that gets broken the love starts to die with it now when they started they would have spent time in prayer with him each day as individuals they would have spent time in his word they would have spent time in praising him they would have spent time enjoying him so why if they started off with all those things and from that blossomed all of this work and activity that they're involved in why is it that they're not doing it now? well we're not told the answer to that are we? but can I suggest it might just be as simple as this it's the very activity and the very battle they're in that's killed it do you know it can get like that can't it? we start off so enthusiastic because of how much we're in love with Christ and he means everything to us and we wake up in the morning all we want to do is to enjoy him and serve him and grow to know him better and love him more and and then we start getting involved in Christian activity and it starts draining us and it starts taxing us and it starts becoming a, a, a burden to us and so we find that we haven't we're not spending time enjoying Christ because we're so busy serving Christ 
And then persecution starts and we find ourselves so busy engaged in trying to fight the spiritual battle that we're involved in that we just don't spend time just enjoying Christ. And it can happen to all of us or any one of us. My friend, it's absolutely right to be busy for Christ as long as we're first busy in Christ. It's when we try to be busy for Christ without being busy in Christ that it all goes wrong. When we're not investing that time in Christ and instead just investing it all in serving Him. So let me ask you a question, friends. How much are you investing in Christ tonight? Day by day. Are you spending time in prayer to God? Are you spending time in God's Word? Are you spending time in praising God? Are you spending time enjoying God? And you say, but I haven't really got the time to do it. Then in that case, something is wrong. Because you can be serving God 23 hours of the day and sleeping one hour of the day and it will be a disaster. We need to be spending time in Christ. We need to be spending time just meditating on Him, speaking to Him, praising Him, enjoying Him. And then the other things will flow from that and they'll flow rightly from that. And that's what this church has got wrong. So see what they need to do as we close. Verse 5, Remember therefore from where you have fallen, repent and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. God is threatening with taking this church out of it. Now it doesn't always happen that what he does is physically close the door, but he closes it spiritually. He says this will just be a, a shell if you don't take this seriously. And he says, this is what you need to do. You need to remember, remember, here's the first thing, remember from where you have fallen. You know, you hear Christians sometimes saying, well, I'm going through a bit of a spiritual low. And the way they say it, it's almost like, you know, I've just made a souffle that's turned out a bit flat. You know, I've just been on a diet and it hasn't really worked too well. And so it's something as unimportant as that. This is about our lives. This is about how we live. This is about 24-7 enjoyment of, of Christ. And he says, remember where you've fallen from. Remember how it was the day you first came to me. The day you first realised that I cover your sin. The day that you cried out to me and I saved you. He says, remember your energy, your enthusiasm, your love of me as it was then. And if you think back and say, well it never was like that, then friend, I would question whether you were actually ever saved. Because that's how it should be when you're saved. It it should just break in on you the wonder that Jesus died for me. God loves me. I'm a new creation in Christ Jesus. And the Lord says, remember what it was like then. Take it seriously. Remember. Repent. Secondly, 
Remember therefore from where you have fallen, repent, turn around in other words. Don't just say, oh yes, I remember what it's like, what a shame it's not like that now. I remember what it was like, maybe one day it will get back to being like that, but I'm too busy at the moment. He says, remember what it was like, repent your sin. There's no reason why it can't be like that again this minute. What it requires is that we just fight the pride and get down on our knees and ask God to forgive us and say, Lord, from this moment on, I'm going back to where I started. I want to enjoy Christ like I enjoyed him then. I want to worship Christ like I worshipped him then. I want to walk each day with Christ like I walked it then. And return. Remember, repent and return. Do the works you did at first. Get that regime back in your life again. And if that means we've got to wake up an hour earlier and if that means we've got to cut out some of the TV and if that means we've got to stop watching things or reading things that are uh, uh, evil or wicked or just wasting our time we've got to do whatever we've got to do to put that regime back in place in our lives that we spend time each day praying reading the Bible worshipping God it's one of the things I used to enjoy when I was driving a long way to work um, I, I still do it walking down Coast Road but it doesn't last as long but you know I mean to me travelling to work is a wonderful time for worshipping God I, I, I mean I, and, and if you drive at a reasonable speed there aren't even too many distractions are there you're just in a stream of traffic and you just, just keep your distance and just drive along and, and your mind and your heart can be just caught up in worship and praise to, to, to Christ he says get it back there again he says otherwise I will deal with it I'll even come and just take this church out of it because he says I haven't got an interest in churches that are doing all the works but don't love me my desire is the churches the people in churches the church the people their hearts delight in me and their work flows from that and I pour out my blessing upon them listen to Deuteronomy 28 verse 47 to 48 this is God speaking to Israel this is what he says because you did not serve the Lord your God with joyfulness and gladness of heart because of the abundance of all things therefore you shall serve your enemies whom the Lord shall send against you in hunger and thirst in nakedness and lacking everything do you get it? he doesn't say because you did not serve the Lord this will happen he says because you did not serve the Lord your God with joyfulness and gladness of heart this will happen they were serving him but they weren't serving him with joy and gladness of heart the Lord says that's what I require my friend do you cherish Christ tonight I pray you do